Episode 116 of Tactical Crouch, and uh, we got a brief story time here, so we're already running late for the show. It's like five, ten minutes behind our normal start time. Stream's not even live yet. We're just hanging out, getting ready for the show. Yuska doesn't even have his camera on yet. And in pops a friend of the show. Pops in, we just see his see his little happy little name tag right there, and we're like, oh. I wonder, wonder if they want to be on the show. Sure enough, it worked out. They're here. Christopher from the Philadelphia Fusion back on the show. Welcome back. And, uh, dude, really glad that we are able to uh, make it happen. It's uh, Yeah, no, I thought uh, last time was, was a, I feel like the show was pretty good and I had a lot of fun. So, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not again? I really like the, uh, but by, by the way, um, if I was your mother, I'd be very proud of the, the bed. Yeah. Uh, looks nice and Thank made. You. Not military corners, but besides that, I think it's great. So, uh, do you guys have military, like military bed folding corners stuff in, is that just like uh, a purely American thing? I mean, um, our, sure our army might do it too. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not experienced with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Well, welcome, welcome to uh, the show, everybody. Uh, Kick tripod with uh, Yiska and Volmel, of course. And uh, before we get started, a uh, couple of quick things. We are still going for uh, our partner on Twitch, and the best way to do that is to get seventy-five plus concurrent viewers. We're doing that today, but we need to continue to do that. So uh, tune in Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon at Twitch.tv/KickTripod to do so. And if you want to support the show, uh, don't forget to leave. Use a Twitch Prime sub or go to Patreon, patreon.com slash tacticalcrouch. By the way, um, big thanks to our Patreon producers. I, I, need a, I need a second breath for this one. <sighs> Battlecrab Pin, Lotion, Charlie L, Audio Compass, Porkchop Sammy, Kasha67, Kuchikopi, Shara Picasso, Nathan Your Misery, Hunter Tain, Refined Bean, Rex Zane, Roger B, Fabled Steven, Owen, Chris R34444. Yiska is holding me hostage. Please send help. I'm under Yiska's desk. Please send help. Th thank you. <laughs> thank you for supporting uh, the shows. And uh, <laughs> I can't believe. So, but two people are paying $25 well done. a month. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Just to troll well Yiska. Yeah. Just to troll Yiska. It's probably both of them is made. Probably. It's true. Knowing made probably that has made energy though. Definitely. It does. It's true. That definitely does. Uh big thanks again to our patron producers. Uh we love you all. And uh let's get started. I mean whew, we were so we were gonna spend a little bit of time on Asia. We're not gonna do that today. Um we're we're talking about doing just a special kind of Asia recap, like short kind of 30, 40 minute show because we Rightfully so, people pointed out, like, hey, you guys spent, like, seven minutes on Asia. We're like, yeah. we know. We have full-time jobs, so sometimes things come up if we're running late, and we have to end the show abruptly. So, sorry about that. Let's, uh, I think, 
Yeah, go ahead. The, the smart thing is, like, we don't have games. Might as well do the next Monday show, give it a proper spin oh, yeah, uh, on that run, right? Yeah, we could totally just, do like, that. I'll, I'll also sit down and just rewatch some games and have better takes on it. Ask around cool. a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, at this point, we're just going to kind of, I think, kind of go back and talk about the Fusion a little bit. So, Fusion, hella close. Again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. How you feeling? How's the mentals after another another month just shy? Yeah, I mean those ones are absolutely savage. Like the moment after and the day after, those losses are the they're genuinely like the worst feeling. But I think the ones where you were close, it's much easier to recover back from in a few days than when you have a performance like the one we had against the Shock or uh, maybe the Mayhem first time round where where it was like more, either it was a bigger failure because we only finished semi-finals or in the shock one where we just got outclassed. I think those ones are the ones that stick with you for a while. It's maybe a little bit easier to bounce back when, when you know, it's just one or two team fights different as much as, as much as you would have loved for it to go the other way, you know? So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Did you, was Paris on your radar at all as being kind of a end-of-bracket threat? Uh, for you guys? Well, after after the, the shock game that we played in like the third week, at least me personally, I really saw no world in which that same team didn't make grand finals, you know, because I felt like that was a that was the level of team we hadn't faced that season. That was like they were really, really, really good that week. Um but the I guess the the Genji kind of flipped things around for everybody um we were able to give it a go obviously we found a lot more success with the genji comp than we had the week before with tracer comp and i guess shock were in a situation where they were never truly able to i don't know i guess i guess they struggled a little bit with the the genji stuff uh and i think just the way it ended up working was just genji was just a much better hero than tracer probably um in that specific comp so i think the teams that were able to play genji well inevitably got got quite a big advantage mm. what was your feeling when you when you got this meta like you it was interesting to see that you guys first avoided it when when it sort of became meta and almost like more in an asian style where it's like it felt like or what i was told by actually quite some coaches in na it's like genji's the real deal and everyone else is behind yeah um, don't yeah, those coaches, I guess, were right. I mean, the week of the shock week, it's one of those things where you talk about like the scrim bubbles and stuff. I, I think we've spoke about it. But the, we only played one team who played the Genji comp that week. Um, and we beat them like pretty convincingly with the Tracer comp. So at least week one, we weren't super sold on it because all of, almost all of our exposure and experience to it had just been... Like I, the team that was playing it, we'd actually end up forced them to swap Tracer in the last. And we scrimmed like four times across the week, right? Um so we at least going into that week felt pretty good and then obviously the way that the shock beat us we felt like okay maybe if we want to win this tournament that we need to we need to try something a little bit different and obviously at the start of the week it you can squeeze a few genji games in um, and then at the same time we we obviously watched the games at week three and then it ended up a lot more teams were playing it than just the one we'd scrimmed against you know like all of a sudden it was like almost half the league had already committed to the to genji style over tracer style so we thought yeah there's probably something here um and then, like we said, it, it almost immediately was a better fit for, for us in our style, maybe. Mm. 
How, what was the reintegration of EQO into that uh, type of lineup uh, around? Like, how how is that Gamgee comp in comparison to maybe season one comps? Where where's the shot calling or like? How is shot calling uh, compartmentalized in these regards? Like, who gives the tempo to the teams? Because I've I've talked to some coaches that said, okay, I I have two Genji players. One of them is a low resource guy. One of them is a high resource guy. We like, and that was very early into the Genji meta. We will see um, who gets to slot in there. But like, what what is the what is the, the what is the ideal attributes that a Genji player should have in this meta? And it ha has to be high resource Genji. A low resource mm -hmm. Genji, in, in at least before the brick changes, is is nonsense. I think. Um, you see when you watch the POV how much the hero is capable of doing. It does more tank damage than any hero. He's able to win almost every single one v one and has one of the best ults in the game, which is also charging at like an extreme rate. Um, so I think the teams that were investing a lot of like armor packs and, and resources into the Genji were always the ones that were going to have the most success. Um, and I think Josh Josh is pretty pretty okay with that. Um, I mean, obviously, season one, his Genji was about as good as anyone's in the league. Um, but like you said, he hasn't played too much this season, right? Like he would come in sometimes, like we tried when we played Echo, he ended up being the guy, but then Echo kind of felt less good maybe for most teams but for us as well so then josh had to sit again uh and then once it was genji meta he, he he got a chance and he improved like over the space of like two or three days like he became from like a good genji so i already saw like okay like this guy might be the best the best in the world at him already yeah yeah so was that a seamless integration to the team once again uh, all things considered yeah pretty much um our, our comm structure over this season, like from season two to season three, has changed a little bit. Um, and I think we've been one of the best teams who's able to like slot players in and out and hasn't been like a noticeable difference. Like Boombox came in for Astro too, and I don't think that like we never feel like whenever we sub anyone in and out, we never feel like worse or better. We just feel like, oh, if he's pinned Tracer and Tracer's worse than Genji, our results are worse. Like it, it, we very rarely like notice when we sub people in and out, like a huge change in either direction. Mm. Yeah, it's it's actually quite interesting how how the old crew in many senses came back together for yeah. for this one, right? And arguably also once again the closest to uh, doing it all, right? That, which is something I think that just like from a, an outwards narrative that people wouldn't have expected to uh, develop that way, even though like you've you've demonstrated that the old guard, like for instance Poco. Uh, pretty much starting the entire start of the season. Um, like, th th these guys are still top tier in their positions, right? Yeah, I think when you look at teams and the way their subs make differences, I think one thing that the only way to build and successfully have a big roster, I think this is what Shock have done this year and last year, and I think that we're doing it this year, is you actually just have to have all players on like a similarly high level, you know? I think the players that like ride the bench on teams permanently are often the players who they just there's just a huge gap like mechanically or just as players. And I think one thing I can say about our lineup is no matter who we have in, there's really is no like bad options, you know? And I think that makes like substituting in and out like pretty simple. Um, and like we said, with Sado being like the super consistent, we rely on him a lot for our shot calling. And then that, if you have your like maybe your core shot callers are playing the whole time, then the people that come in and out, it's it, it's uh, it's pretty seamless most of the time. 
Okay, here's here's one, and I'm glad you're here so you can answer this, so I don't ha have to uh, contain myself. But one narrative that, or like one comment that we saw repeatedly brought up is like, oh yeah, why would they put alarm on mm. uh, yeah. break? Like, what's going on there? Um, can yeah, you illuminate the, the hordes? Okay, I'm going to answer this question with a question. Okay. You watched the Shock versus Paris match, right? Yeah. Did Sparkle pop off? Yes. Did you watch the Fusion versus Paris game? Yes. Did Sparkle pop off? <laughs> Not as much, no. Yeah, okay, there's your answer. We've solved the case. <laughs> guys, congratulations. So, can you can you elaborate a little bit on how Briggs uh, um... not even close to a simple hero? Um, mm -hmm. I think the argument is that everyone thinks that Alarm is like our number one support player, and Bap is the most impactful of the two supports. So let's put our best player on the most impactful. I think that's the logic. Um, mm -hmm. Also, the mechanics. Boombox has been our BAP player all season, and we think Boombox's BAP is really, 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 really good. So there was an opportunity to play BAP Briggs, so we brought in our BAP player. There was nothing like crazy about it. It's what we've been doing all season. I think it made sense. Like, yeah, I don't know. And then at the same time, I think there's a really solid argument that most teams didn't have a good Brig this tournament. And I think Alarm mm. was on another level to every Brig in this tournament. I actually don't think it was close the impact he got compared to every other Brig. And when you have a good Brig, like, everything gets a lot easier like sparkles blades like i know paris won but i really felt like sparkles blades were like such a non-factor and throughout the entire series but when i watched them versus shock sparkle was getting one or two team wipes every single yeah. like you saw the stats there were some absolutely yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. stats right yeah. and i think that's the difference like twilight's a good player right but i think there's there was still a huge gap between like the level twilight played and the level alarm played do you think that was kind of why paris had to shift in those final few fights on on rialto where they tried to kind of hide XE and, and put him on the flank a little bit because they weren't getting so much value out of, out of Sparkle? Maybe. I think XE's just a really good DPS player, and I think he recognized in those fights that mm. we were going to win the... I think all series long, when it had been the mirror, I think we were always winning the most like neutral and vanilla fights. Mm. I think because we... We, we won three maps in the seven series, right? And all three of the maps we won where it was just exactly the mirror comp throughout. And yeah. the maps we ended up losing were when like, there was different comps involved uh, up until Rialto when we also lost the mirror. Um, so I definitely think that if Exe or one of the coaches realized that if they just play like tanks v tanks and kind of play vanilla, that we were getting the better of it. And then they decided to give Exe more freedom to like try and make plays. Mm -hmm. If that adaptation came out from either him or the coaches, it was a really good one. Um, or it, uh, maybe it's just one of those things where s some fights he tried to flank and in the first sure. few maps it didn't work out and then when it mattered most it, it did maybe maybe yeah. there is too much to think about you know and that last fight was rough like he it, it felt like he was uncontested but of, of course like uh yeah the team had to look in t into a window as well which is scary um so i think he maybe. had about three three fights on the our Rialto attack where he flanked and killed two people. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. And you guys were even one up. I, I recall, if I recall correctly, like Harpy gets a pick in that fight. Um, yeah, they, they kind of entered into us because I think they tried to rush into us before we could touch cart, but we just killed one of them and still touched for free. So I was in the dugout and I thought, hey, we might have this here. Um, but yeah, I guess actually didn't want me to be happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So the, another interesting development is, and we have talked about this a little bit and um, tried to like solve it statistically, but since you're here, maybe you can uh, give us a little uh, insight on that. <laughs> I've, I've felt like maybe this is more true in the Asian games than in the NA games, but it felt like Sigmas are almost the most important hero on the uh, playing field. And the, the level to which they aggressively play, like Krong mm. was basically like, it felt like he was carrying. Uh, yeah. Potentially more so than Ali. Is yeah, that... it, could, it could be. Um, I mean, Sigma is like a really, really good hero. And if you hit your shots and you play your angles correctly, you can actually like do so much damage. And I guess with the introduction of Genji, I guess there was a more importance on the rock because it was one of the most consistent ways to shut him down. So I guess Sigma's like skill cap went up during like the transition from Tracer to Genji. Um, but I, I don't know. I think Sigma's always been important, but I don't know if I would say that it's it's the most important. Mm. What's the least important role? What do you think? Is there something that you could outline? Hmm. May this is a tough one. I think maybe Arissa or Bap. Mm -hmm. I think mm. yeah, that's the those are the obvious ones. Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm. Do you think this meta can stick around? With the, uh, it's really interesting. really interesting. We were, we've been talking about it a lot, uh, just like internally and stuff. Initially, when I saw it, I thought there's there's no way, right? Um, mm. I just thought that my my I always think like, oh, if before if if the team's playing Brig Bap and I've hard dived their Bap, I can't ever kill him. Even if I invest four people and we time the dive correctly, it's never going to work because the drone and compared and then the armor um, and my idea with now was that like a tracer can have so much fun with an enemy back if it's never an enemy bap if it's never armored um, but it's interesting because what also made genji the strongest was the brig enabling it and what made genji the biggest weakness was also the brig counter in it right yeah, yeah. so you might be in this situation where if you take the armor away it ends up like making genji's life easier but also harder at the same time mm -hmm. um and it might make the brigs who are really good at stunning and shutting down more impactful compared to the brigs who were just giving armor to genji and still getting value um mm -hmm. so i don't know i i don't think it's out of the question that the meta stays the same um mm. but i guess my gut right now is is that it changes but i think one thing historically in overwatch like over the last few years i've so many times i've seen a nerf and i thought Goats is dead, or Arissa is dead, <laughs> yeah, or true. May yeah. is dead, and it never is, dude. It's never enough. Um, yeah. So who knows? Maybe Brig still, because a lot of the ways he would use Brig in this meta is still the same. You know, hmm. like the reason teams went for Brig over Zen a lot was not only just the pocketing on the Genju, but it was also like if you can force like we call it an infight where you're like Arissa's effectively go melee range and the Brig can start getting Inspire up. The healing's actually pretty significant and that's the exact mm. same um and rally is one of the best thoughts in the game and that's now the same or slightly charges sure. faster um and the stun and the ability to shut down a dps is the same it's just the ability to pocket someone i guess has got weaker yeah yeah, yeah. and the way armor works in general in overwatch is yeah mildly weird Right. Convoluted to say the like least. that that makes it very hard also to intuitively get get a feel for that it's like okay what, what are really the breaking points on the slashes for instance on the genji blades um with the armor being missed and stuff like that like that that's always a, a a good question there yeah like 
Of course, I think Genji sh should probably have a very, very high pick rate, uh, uh, play rate anyway. So the chances of him being banned pretty are pretty high. It's probably going to be two of either Genji, Tracer, Ash Widow, maybe. Yeah. I don't really see where else. else. Yeah, odds seem pretty high for it because I think the the first the was the main melee. The first one was a lot of teams tried a lot of different stuff. You know, there was only one week off hero bans, so there wasn't mm. necessarily a hard meta, and and there was there was a pretty high variety of comps True. where it felt like teams specialized where they wanted to specialize. Whereas I think this month everyone just kind of picked off from the last tournament. They saw which teams won it, and then almost this was almost. Every team just playing the same comp against each other, you know? This was like, there was very little variety this week. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, you mention it. So, last time you were here, we talked a lot about confidence. We did. And now, like, you've participated in two tournaments, you made it to the semi, at least to the semifinals in both. Uh, one time you fell short against the Florida Mayhem. This time you got closer, but not quite there. Yeah. Is this what's what's the what's the temperature in the team? Does that increase hunger? Um that could that propel you or would you have preferred to win this one and then take that momentum uh into the next stage? I'm going to blow your mind, but I would have preferred to have won the tournament. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably the question. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think these ones, like I said at the start, these ones are maybe easier to bounce back from. I think these aren't the type of losses which can boom a team because, I mean, it, there's various ways to look at it, obviously. Because um, on one hand, it was a hugely disappointing result, which felt horrible to be part of. But at the same time, for me and maybe for so certain other players, it was still the best result of our career, if that makes sense. Finishing second yeah. place, going to... So depending on the way you, you look at your perspective, you could see it like it as a, as a positive. Um, but I think our expectations are definitely that we need to start to start winning stuff because we've had a good season and we have a good roster. And this isn't a team that's ever going to be set aside for second place. I can tell you there's not even close to celebrations or anything like after the fact. It was no, very course, much... Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think after the May melee, I think we were we were pretty crushed because again, that was one where we felt like going into it, I thought we felt we had a really good chance to win the whole thing, and then obviously Florida came and beat us. Um, and then this week we, I don't know. Yeah, I, our scrim results on on the Genji comp had been really good, so so we did have high expectations. Um, and then obviously once you saw the way the results started to shake out, I think as it went on more and more, you thought, hey, this could be it, you know. Like obviously at the start of the week, if you told us our run through the bracket was was Houston into Toronto into Paris, we probably would have called you a liar or we would have bitten mm. your hand off for it, you know. Um in our head our envisioned run was was much more difficult. Um so I I guess there's definitely elements of like wasted opportunity there. It depends how you look at it, right? Like there's maybe three different narratives you can take from it i was thinking about this at the same at the end of the may melee like maybe the sports narrative is something like our philly always second and never first you know because that's it's not the first time it's happened to this to oh. our franchise um yeah. but then maybe there's just a narrative where two teams who were closely matched played a game of overwatch and one team was able to do a small few things which won and there really isn't anything deeper to delve into and anything deeper to worry about in the the true nature of sports is two teams when they're close, they play a close game and it really can go either way. And mm -hmm. you can't beat your head against the wall and 
overanalyze and try to blow things up or we can't be second anymore, you know? True, yeah. Here's another question. Okay. Paris goes out against Dallas. Dallas flops uh, next round. You meet Shock in the final. Who wins? It's a good question. It is a good question. I don't know. I guess no. they, they go Ilios first, and they probably... They probably take Ilios. They're pretty good at that math. But then I think after that, I think I think if you're a team in the in the twelve map loser picks format and you have a significant weakness like Shock either couldn't mm. play or play or play against the Genji like super well, I think there was a really good way for us to just force Genji maps on every time we lost, and then eventually. If we were able to win that matchup where they played Tracer and we played Genji, if we forced maps like Kings or I think we would have had a really good chance, honestly. Um, I think yep. if you let us run it back versus Paris, I think we have a really good chance as well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> how would yeah. you, how would you describe the style or like the? If we want to keep it uh, Korean, how would you describe the color of Paris Eternal, the team that you faced? Like what is um what kind of a team is it? And also do they have legs for the rest of the season? Well, I I, I think that my expectations for Paris at the season were pretty low, like I think a lot of people were. Mm. One thing I, I know is from talking to people either on Paris or who people who've worked with 9K before, that that guy might be the most underrated coach in the league. He might be he he might be crusty level actually, and people don't <laughs> quite realize it. Um But when I saw how well they'd done at the start of the season without Sparkle and then with Exy out for a long time, I thought that you have to look at this team and once these players come back in, you have to really, really treat them as a really scary team. And I think that it was almost immediate. Obviously, the fact that it's a Genji meta, the second Sparkle comes of ages, <laughs> you couldn't have written that much better. And then Exy is able to make us return it along the same timeline. So I, I think this meta is really good for them. Um overall but honestly on the Rhine May comps like on Li Jiang we never lose these and Paris stomped us um so, so I think on, on their dive looked pretty clean too they beat us on dive so, so I think that this is a team that I don't think we can look at it and rule out them winning the whole thing like I think that they're, they're really legit yeah I, I thought they were pretty lucky that there wasn't a doom meta with chips and sparkle that would face be off. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really <laughs> yeah no it's it's a it's a team that it's that almost inspires the confidence like for for a long time during the start of the season we thought of this as a two horse race right and mm. um like we anticipated a lot of these matches to uh like we anticipated you guys to meet in the main melee okay teams have one offs and other teams have peak performances on that day that can happen against the mayhem then the fateful uh regular season game match comes along and it's like okay hmm. um and just in general it's interesting to see that maybe this there's more than just the ch shock that and yeah. you guys and I, honestly like i feel like depending on the meta there are two two more teams probably two or three uh in na that could also have a say so um That that certainly will be uh, interesting in uh, how that continues to develop in the in the future. But yeah, it's it's interesting to say that um, you also call 9K a coach when he I think he, isn't he technically he's a GM? technically a GM. Yeah, but again, 
with that kind of a brain, I, I would imagine he's probably doing some coaching as well. Yeah. 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 That, and I, I think this is also an important point to raise that uh, while Russia's head coach, there's probably also some, definitely some uh, positive um, aspects Praise to be said about uh, NK as well. So, mm. yeah. Uh, Incredible team. Special. Gonna do some good things. Is there another team that way you think, like, are there, are, would you see, say there's like two other teams, like depending on the meta, for instance, let's say, um, maybe Valiant, if they catch a really good one, or even Florida, if they catch a really good one, like that, like they did against you in the main melee, do you think they, they would have a Dark Horse chance? Mm, maybe. I always think with a league and a tournament that going into it, there's only certain teams that can win the league, you know? Mm. Like, I think that my theory for, for the Overwatch League is that the only teams that can truly expect to be there at the very end is teams with truly complete rosters, right? Like, I think a lot of the teams, like, if you take us, Shock, and I guess Paris now is, like, is some sort of top, I think almost all of the teams beneath us have some roles and some positions where they have really good players, but almost all of, all of them have that one or two roles where you look at that and think, okay, that's actually a, mm. it's a weakness, you know? Um, and I think that at the highest level, that one weak spot always gets exposed in big games. Um, I'm not going to talk about who, who I think weak spots are, obviously, but I think that most people would probably come to similar conclusions. Um, so I think going into the season, there's maybe only... <laughs> Yeah, I guess on paper, like I guess Paris now, us shock, then maybe something like Shanghai and New York are the teams of the most like started rosters, which you would say that for sure can win the league. Um, mm. And then the others are maybe like super reliant on a good meta, and then the top teams having a bad meta at the same time come playoffs, which is possible. It can happen. There's there's one observation that I I suppose we have to make, and uh, I wrote an article about that. And as, as we said, like your core has been pretty much like that played in that final has been pretty much around since season one. Now yeah. in come five rookies. One of them has been playing in the Overwatch League for 36 days. Um, and yes, they've been, uh, a lot of them have been the core uh, or one core before. Um, what, what it's, what's the, is there additional value of having played in the Overwatch League or does especially Contenders Korea already provide a very good de developmental uh, baseline or is it just far enough in the season where it's like okay these Overwatch League level coaches like 9k like Rush could already impress on the, their teams like a level that clearly elevates them uh, over what Element Mystic used to be yeah I think maybe there's an argument that because the season turned online that it, the the pressure of the Overwatch League got easier for rookies. Um, but I think almost all of the rookies we have on our team almost immediately came in and felt Overwatch League ready. Like, I didn't feel like any of them had to take any time to get used used to the league or used to the pressure. Um, like, like, I still considered Astro a rookie for the most part because he, yeah. he didn't really play last year. But I mean, him, Alarm, Hisu... I don't know if I'm missing anyone. All came into the league and and were they were they were Chipsa. at the highest level already, you know. Yeah, chips are two. <laughs> so um yeah, I don't know. I think that maybe maybe it's not as big a deal as it would you would think it would to be, you know? Yeah. And that's also 
then of course interesting implications uh towards um just like what it means to pick up because there are teams that regularly count on uh on old talent right like yeah um for instance like i don't think uh use Outpost has ever picked up a rookie um toronto defined feels very old god even though they recently picked up um some fresher bloods and i mean there's it to be fair there's not a hard like um pattern where it's like yeah shock can also still dominate with their with much of their last roster then again how come that someone like Ants can just walk into the league and pretty much just slap everyone around right like it's yeah. it doesn't even make that much sense so it's interesting to see and it's also interesting to think of the mechanics of as to why that is and you raise mm. one point online play is like okay that's that's one thing definitely 100% uh the the experience of having played on the stage that's probably the biggest aspect uh that they have um also probably in overwatch league stage is a little bit different than a contenders korea um stage would be um or a gauntlet stage um but do, what are the reasons that rookies can hit so early in, in this game? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess maybe at some point, if you're just good at Overwatch, you're good at Overwatch. Like the only two factors which the Overwatch League pros experience count for is, like you said, the stage stuff, and then maybe how good they are. Like, okay, one thing I think that happens a lot in the Overwatch League is that it's the booming, right? Like almost every team has like super consistent booms. Like I think if you go through the 20 teams in the league and you, you get inside them, almost all of them have had weeks oh, or yeah. that have properly exploded, you know? Um, and I think that one thing that's interesting is playing with like a fixed roster. This is the argument that people were making about like why the tier two teams would beat some of the lower Overwatch League teams. And I think when I came on last time, maybe I spoke about the idea that the top contenders teams could beat the bottom Overwatch League teams because in contenders, it's if someone's doing bad or booming, you can just kick them and get someone else. Yeah, yeah. But in, in the Overwatch League, you're in a team house together. Your roster is pretty stable and pretty finalized. So there is an element of you have to be a, a good teammate or a good person to prolong through a 12-month period together, right? And in contenders, most of the time, you're just in your house alone. And there's always like roster changes in and out, in and out. Um, so there's almost like a constant honeymoon phase and you're never locked in. And then when things go wrong, there's always, I'll just leave the team. I'll go somewhere else. We'll get this, mm. we'll do this, you know? Whereas whereas in the Overwatch League, you're trapped, you know? Once you sign that contract, you're trapped for the year. And then if, if all of a sudden you've made a bad decision and your team's struggling, then, it, then the experience of understanding that it's a long season and not to let yourself explode is probably the most impactful thing that, that veterans get. I guess the next kind of follow-up from that would be, do you think that the the frequency and how the game changes plays a role in, you know, rookie talents kind of... Oh, it, does it play a role in Overwatch having such a strong graduating class that year? So, like, you know, in the years previous, we had, you know, Titans coming in with the GOATS meta and, and some strong contenders teams kind of coming up in that. Coming into 2020, we have obviously a number of rookie talents just being incredibly versatile and good and just overall just powerful players. Do you think that kind of uh, that trend continues in 2021? Do you think we're going to have like a strong graduating class? Well, what might be interesting is 
our game is still pretty young compared to at least the Premier sure. Esports. Um, and I feel like if I, if you go back to maybe League of Legends seasons one, two, three, four, every year it was a huge amount of new talent. And then at some point mm. it stabilized to the point where year on year it was almost the same faces in the league, right? Yep. I wonder if there's an element in Overwatch where the people who got in early, even in the first two years, the competition they had to fight to get to the top wasn't that high. So they were able to climb and become like an Overwatch League player. But every year there's more people with like genuine passion or genuine talent for the game that come in and they just knock them down bit by bit and, and eventually they're all in this situation where it's only people in the league who are people like are truly passionate or truly talented and all mm. of the people who who either just got in at the right time and was able to be good but not like elite level all of a sudden they're going to keep dropping and eventually maybe in like one year or two years rookie talent stops being as impactful and instead you just have like a core of the league who are all really 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 good do you think kind of playing within that same framework, do you think then we'll have a similar problem to kind of how at least NA League of Legends seems to have? And and I won't speak with like an expert's tongue on this because I'm not super familiar with it anymore. But it seems like we do really see a lot of the same faces and there is a problem trying to bring in rookie talent either with, you know, improper you know scouting or just lack of lack of development. Do you think that that could be a problem for the game in the future? In Overwatch? Maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose it could be. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't That's know fair. for sure um, if it's... I mean, you could also, I'm sure, talk about the Tier 2 scene and how that also might like inevitably impact it. But then I'm mm. not super convinced. Like, there's a If you're talking about the health of the league in terms of like viewership and how sustainable it is, I'm not like super sure that like a constant need for rookie talent is either better yeah. or super important there might be an argument that if you have the same players and then all of a sudden there's more narratives and everyone's more aware of them that that's actually mm -hmm. more healthy for the league at least like in a business and financial model and um, even if the actual skill level of the game doesn't go up um i guess the dream scenario is there to be a somewhat healthy balance i think no one really wants every year for half of the teams to look yeah. completely different because all oh, my favorite players gone now um and at the same time people don't want every roster to be the same six people over and over so there might be a situation sure. where in real sports like man united's roster looks the same each year but every year there's like two or three rookies or two or three signings and then we kind of slowly build up like that uh and maybe that's where everyone wants to be yeah my my fear is that yes we will find these people that are truly passionate and also just like are completely resistant to this uh, volatile state and Keep in mind we also haven't started traveling yet and i don't know mm. like the the um the the signals is like maybe we won't have as much travel as we used to but my hope is that your theory is correct and not that it is just the, the way we have uh structured the system is just inevitably like going to uh kill some even very high uh talented uh, players drive uh, in a in a high frequency whereas someone like i don't want to say a name but like a um like a very good talent coming in uh going hard for two years and then just going okay oof, this is uh this is a lot what what i have to do here and um like if you think about it there's not that many players that were consistently like absolute tip top tier since season one even though that's very much just explainable with your theory of um 
uh, of that as well. But yeah, I, I just hope that we have a system that doesn't suck the passion out of people uh, or out of most people and that we have can have some stability. Because yeah. like some some <clears throat> factors in this, like teams, for instance, are um, counting a lot on young talent, which is like, okay, that makes sense. If you believe that they are going to have an average career length of like five years, let's say. Um, the, the statistics right now are not pointing towards their career length, but of course, this is the acclimation uh, phase. But we've also not settled on the competitive format uh, completely, where we can say, okay, we've 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 settled on the filter. This is what everyone needs to get accustomed to, and especially travel. I will say, like historically, in other esports, has been pretty pretty much like a divider between uh, mm. some teams. Like you were in League of Legends, for instance, right? Uh, f- for like way back when, me, Christopher, yeah. Barely, like I played, uh, but I was in like I don't know. I don't think I was ever consider myself a competitive player, but I followed it mm-hmm. like, almost always. So the story of Moscow Five comes to mind, right? Yeah, who were like gods, and then they had to travel uh, like stupid hours, stupid hours, and that kind of broke them and broke the magic for them. And um, that that is another factor where you just think, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting, and then whatever. Wherever this wild game will lead us to, because it's mm. certainly not getting boring with the type of ch- changes that we had. Um, I feel like in many ways this game found itself like this season feels way more like season one than it feels like season two. Does it not? I have like a, a maybe it's slightly controversial, but I, I feel like there was there was obviously a period a few months ago where everyone was like at maximum burnout, and we saw a lot of retirements, like especially mm. in tier two. But then there was also like a fair few of Watch League players who've dropped out, mm. um, and I feel like that period almost like was a good opportunity to lose some of the players who weren't like truly passionate for the game, and it like I think we lost a lot of the negativity within the scene, and then I think that what ended up happening is now we have like a situation where the tournament structure made everybody really happy again, and then the people who stayed in are now the people who like truly love Overwatch and truly like they don't so much of social media and so much of the narrative about Overwatch for so long was so overwhelmingly negative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that drained with everybody. And I think that what happened was there was this huge like leaving of everybody and then people were like, yeah, Overwatch is dead. And then what ended up happening is that from that, a new tournament and then everything's really positive around the game now and I think yeah. everybody sees like a big future for it. So I'm, I don't know, like I I'm not super convinced that the people leaving the scene who don't truly love Overwatch is that negative for it because I think that negativity is a virus, you know? Yeah, and just yeah. to to save you from the potential backlash here, I don't think you're saying that everyone who left just had a deep hatred uh, towards no. the game. It's also no, no. some yeah. uh, other factors that went into their decisions. Sure. Right? Yeah, I, I just feel like for the overall health of like the scene and and, and the community and the and everything, just the more people who who are in the in the game that genuinely love it and aren't using it because it's a it's either like a good opportunity for a paycheck or they're in a situation where they've invested so many years into trying to get good at this game and they've burnt out from it and they're just still doing it because they have no alternative. I think 
everybody within the scene is going to be happier when it's a place where the only people who are in it are just they truly love Overwatch and they truly love their job. Um, and that's so, where we want to be. It it is, and I I think that's kind of the 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 nirvana of where every game wants to get to. But do you worry that because roll lock wasn't enough, because hero pools is still even trying to be figured out, and now you know taking a page out of Yiska's book and and maybe postulating that Overwatch two, maybe we cut rosters down to four active members on the starting lineup instead of six. Um, is there this weird constant need to cull the herd that that worries you? Is that something that you feel like could could continue to happen? Is that something that that again like concerns you that we'll always go through this this weird like normal C phase and then we'll get really negative and then we'll kind of bounce back and be positive and then something else. It's just always this rotating circus. Is that well, where does that kind of sit with you? Okay, so so I have a really. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to say it anyway. I have a theory about esports e in general is that okay. um, stuff like CSGO and League of Legends, when those games first came out, nobody looked at those games as an opportunity to get paid to play video games. So what ended up happening is the growth of the game in the esport was just like, it was authentic, right? It was people who genuinely yeah. loved League of Legends. And I think there was a point where around Overwatch's release where everybody who was in gaming realized yo, esports is legit. People are getting paid a lot of money. I'm pretty good at games. And I know for a fact there, is, there was a lot of people who jumped into Overwatch early on, mm -hmm. not because they loved the game, but because if I get on at the ground floor of this game and it looks like Blizzard's going to make a league and there's going to be a lot of people, there was people who inevitably either grinded Overwatch and got high level at Overwatch, who only whose main motivation even if they enjoyed the game a little bit but was to become one of the people that gets played to play video games professionally right mm -hmm. um and i think one thing i see with valorant is the exact same cycle yeah. except more so i think there are so many people who didn't make it an overwatch who just see an opportunity to jump to valorant at the ground floor and it's like oh well if i'm there from the start i don't have to fight against the people in overwatch who had closed beta they always had such a big edge on me and i just lost passion because the game sucks but valorant the game's going to be sick i'm going to become a professional valorant player and i feel like people with those mentalities even if they make it short term they can never exist in any game long term because i think that in certain jobs the workloads and the stress and everything that goes into it is so high you have to truly love what you do to mm. have any chance and i think when i look at like professional footballers and other sports people i get the impression the vast majority of those people would rather do football than anything else it is truly their most passionate thing and i see with certain people in overwatch i see that i see that i see that this is truly they just love the game i think one thing that i've, I've loved about working with kdg i can say hand on heart is he, he genuinely loves overwatch like every second of it he enjoys playing it he enjoys watching it he enjoys everything to do with overwatch and i think that gives him such a leg up on like the vast majority of coaches out there um because it's so much easier to put in everything if you truly enjoy doing it, you know? Mm. Um, and the, other, the second it starts to become a job for people, in a competitive sport, you fall behind so fast. And this leads me to a person... I want to tag on both, uh, both aspects, uh, or both questions here. Um, like, I kind of tried to lead in with this, like, a lot of people signing, like, 18-year-old players. Does it matter how old someone is if they've demonstrated to you that they have the passion someone like numlocked no i don't think so i think the passion is the most important thing what i can say is that stereotypically i think 
the younger players are always going to be more passionate. And I think one thing I learned this year was that bringing in people like Daniel, who Astro, Alarm, and Hisu, who all are young and really hungry and really passionate, it's so good for your environment. It forced everybody. Mm. Like, I think that we play internally the most ranked of any team in the league. And I think it's because they see the people like Astro and Alarm, who all they want to do all the time is play ranked. And it spurs everybody on, even the most yeah. like veterans of players who, who there's maybe an argument they could make in their head like, I don't need to play ranked. I've played this game for four years. I'm already good. But when they see their teammates, these young, hungry guys who love Overwatch, love to play ranked, who who show up to scrims, like genuinely excited to play, like it's still fun. Like back in the day when I used to play, there was a lot of the time where I just loved playing Overwatch. There was no, like, it wasn't about the competition. It's just like, if I had a day off, I'd rather be scrimming because it's actually just a really fun activity for me, you know? Um, and I think one thing that, if I'm with the Fusion in the future, um, one thing I always want us to do is, is to invest in, in, in at least getting some fresh blood who are truly hungry to to love the game and to improve. Because I think that it just has such a huge impact on the culture. And I think that one thing that happens in sports, and I think maybe there is already signs of it in esports, is when teams stand still and they don't try and... Yeah. They, they start to, to stand still and, and their workload inevitably ends up going down and their passion goes down and then it, and it snowballs negatively. I think that I always want to have at least one rookie or super hungry player join join my team every year is there a worry about rookies burning too hot like if we if we kind of think about you know painting the picture of your players like candles do you need kind of that that consistency to show that you have that fire for a long time or could they kind of burn really hot when they're young and then just completely just kind of flame out and burn themselves out could could easily happen you have no idea how i think everyone is really excited when it comes 18. You're very rarely yeah. going to get an 18 that comes, 18 year old that comes into the league who's already burnt out and already hates Overwatch. I think that's pretty yeah. unlucky if you find someone mm, like yeah. that. And then in two years, it's super possible that some of these players like fall out of love of the game. But then if they do that, then it seems like they'll, they'll have to move on, and then we'll find someone else who's hungry. You know? Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. That no, like I, <clears throat> I think the the that point is actually. Probably, I, I I hadn't thought about the the natural drive, just like what it means uh, for for uh, players and how that can be correlated with age. Fair enough. I feel like there are very obvious signals, though, that if someone was in Overwatch League, then drops out of Overwatch League and keeps grinding contenders like a madman, mm. that that communicates that someone loves Overwatch. Right. 100%. 100%. And especially and when you go on their social media and most of the comments are always positive and they're all talking about, it's okay, I, I will get better, I will get back into the league. Those are the players who I, who I have a lot of time for. But maybe you run the risk of those players. You have to question, like, there's a passion, but there's always a mechanical skill ceiling with any yeah. player, right? And you have, to, you have to ask, maybe, like, on the Fusion, we're in a situation where we have, like, expectations that you have to have a mechanical yeah. ceiling to be the very best in the world, which mm -hmm. maybe makes those signings like slightly harder for us. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine there's always seats at the table and, you know, obviously this is very dated information in a pre COVID world, but this league at some point is probably going to expand. I don't know if it's going to be next year or the year after, maybe the year after, but ideally there's going to be plenty of seats at the table for people with the passion, people that have the fire to be able to compete. So, you know, somebody like a numlock, somebody that, you know, is positive has the passion not mechanically deficient too much so and probably will will have a pretty long career 
ideally there knock was, on wood there was a great lesson that was learned throughout this league and it was the people who 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 gave up and like retired from the league it was always the people who'd been grinding in tier two a lot of them got their opportunity this year, you know? Like, mm. there was this narrative about a lot of contenders players that, oh, it's just unfair. The scouting in the league's terrible. I'm never going to get my opportunity. And then they retired. Like, there was, I, I loved seeing the people who retired, and then a month later, their teammates were getting signed for Overwatch League. And you have to think, ah, well, if I'd stopped being so negative and I, and I truly loved yeah. the game, then maybe I would have made it, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of signings this year, more than any, yeah, right? Like mid-season signings felt like they happened because there was like no need for a visa and there's no need for travel. So it made it a lot easier. But there was a lot of stories, Numlocked being probably like one of my favorites of people who, who'd really fought to stay in the scene, who, whose hard work and over time got rewarded because of the, the COVID situation and the burnout mm. situation, right? Yeah, totally. And I also think it's, it's absolutely no coincidence that this is the tournament where they f went far. Um, based yep. on that, I, I think from what I could gather, they mo moved a lot of calling towards him as well. Um, he, like, when, when I talk to people, he's just described as the perfect teammate to me. So, like, this is, it's, it's, it's very, to a degree, inspirational to see that someone that's 27 years old can get into yeah. a team and just, like, honestly turn it around to a degree and of course we also have to give it to uh Cruz possibly for being one of the guys that were injected into that roster um and a couple of other factors but um yeah that's it's it's a cool story where they ended up um of course could argue that the meta helped them a little bit as well um but sure but you gotta be there it? for that right to, yeah, to yeah. I guess the moral of the story is if you want to turn your team around, get more UK players. That's the... <laughs> true, <laughs> true. I, I, I will say that I think this is the first time I've, I've heard somebody actually try to define what the honeymoon phase is, right? Like bringing in passionate young players to kind of light a fire. I, I think we throw around that jargon a lot. But nobody really kind of defines what that means, right? We, we just say like, oh, well, we were bringing in Ricky players to, to kind of continue the honeymoon phase. Like what that actually means, at least from what I'm gathering from you, is, is to try and continue the motivation to kind of keep the engine moving and to motivate people. Is there is there more of like a confidence thing bringing in Ricky players as well? Like what more goes into the definition of like the honeymoon phase of teams? There's there's no worst mentality that a team can ever have is when you you think and you're honest with yourself and you say if we keep doing as we've been doing we will not improve right and the second that becomes your mentality because even though we're working hard we're still losing every week and nothing's changing then that's when it becomes extremely easy to slip down and slip down mm. and what bringing in a new player does is it just re-energizes everyone because it's like oh well maybe if we keep working hard this new player will be what's what brings us back up you know and that's always what happens you see it in sports all the time when a team sacks a coach and they bring in a new coach mm. it actually doesn't matter what they're doing in terms <laughs> of their coaching it's just oh all of a sudden if we work hard with this new guy our results are going to look a lot better right and i think that's the the concept it's just telling everybody that hey at least something's changing you know if we if we work hard we will see we still will see improvements yeah and to a degree it's also I think pretty much how you frame success because it's, it's like, and this is also a big like narrative that 
is also part of sports and that is probably more so an uh, an idea of thinking for fans rather than players because there's there's the battle against the opponent mm. and there's the battle against whatever you were yesterday right like nobody wakes up and goes like ah what really beat shock today right like you you wake up and go okay i want to get better today like that's uh uh the the idea that brings you forward right like it's not a like not an overwhelmingly amazing story to tell even though like some other um some other scenes have tried to tell that story like i'm thinking of uh the recent uh the last world's song like the phoenix Mm -hmm. Where the entire point of that, uh, that entire narrative of this song was basically like, you got to beat yourself before you can even think about uh, being a champion, right? Yep. Like you're beating your demon and then you can uh, get there, right? Um, does it feel like that to you? Does it feel like you're battling the shock when you, when you go into the practice room or does it feel like, wh who, who are you fighting? Basically. Well, yeah, well, you're right. Is your attitude, even if our goal is to beat the shock, the only way we can do it is by being better than them. You know, it's like um, we have to say, okay, this is the level they're at. This is the level we're at. It means we just have to improve. We need to work harder. We need to change a few things. And if we get better, then we'll see what happens. Like we have no real, we can't impact how their practice goes or how they right. play. All we can do is look at ourselves. And if we think, oh, we need to, Maybe this is a weakness we have within our team. Let's try and do this. Um, always have to look for things to improve. Yeah, I think that gets kind of painted around like it's, and as much as it's like this weird, wise hermit kind of cliche nonsense, it's true that you know you can't kind of deal with the shock by trying to influence their practice. Like you can talk about how like oh you might counter strat, but if there was ever a season of overwatch that it's going to be a difficult to kind of counter strat or try to pull some sort of like tape and review it and kind of see the patterns would this be the one that's probably the least impactful is is that do you guys find yourself kind of reviewing their vods and trying to like abuse certain you know tendencies or is it just working on yourself trying to improve your own fundamentals and, and ironing out your problems versus trying to prepare for somebody else it's something i've thought about a lot after we mm. lost to them. It was something that was really interesting to me. And I guess, if I'm honest, my thought process was something along the lines of like, right, like I think at points last season, Shock clicked into a gear and a level where no team was close. I think you saw like the lower bracket run in playoffs. Yeah. The gap between them and every team in the league was ginormous, right? It was huge. Um, and then there was there was a, there was a part of me which was actually really really worried that they'd clicked into that same gear when they beat us Frio and that mm -hmm. that shock had gone to that new level and then I had to think what's interesting about the tournament is there's no do I have to create a strategy or do we have to think about how to play the best level and then when it comes against shock we have to do something tactical to beat them over a series mm. if we just like play mirror versus them at some point we have to it's possible that we would have to go into that game thinking that we can't beat them in the mirror. Like we have them again later in the season. We we might play them again in in the next tournament. Like imagine a world in which we'd played them in the finals of the tournament this weekend and we'd been beaten 4-0 and then we play them in the countdown cup and we're beaten 4-0 and then we play them in a regular season and we, we get beaten 3-0. There might have to be a, a part of us as coaches as a team who who has to just accept that 
this gap is not closable by hard work and instead we need to play we need to take them off their game right you see it all the time mm. and i'll always go back to football but there is always games where like when pep guardiola's barcelona who's the best team in football history most people would argue no team would ever go and just try and play against them right yeah. you had it was suicidal like you had to acknowledge the way they played and say no one beats this team and the, the that team only lost games to teams that attempted to play like a very defensive style and like to catch them on counters, whatever it is. Um, mm. But that was definitely something that I was wrestling with. Um, it was never going to be a situation where this tournament, we didn't just do our best and try and beat them like mirror to mirror, man to man. Um, but had we got stomped three or four more times, then maybe it was something we, can, we could consider. But I think this tournament proved that we're still the level that we thought we were and shock aren't at that like next level um and that may be just the reason we got oh freed was just they were at 100 percent and we weren't at 100 percent. and the gap when you're playing against teams at that level looks a lot bigger you know mm. what what this sounds like to me when you're saying like you you gotta uh throw them off their game is basically what i think what you try to do is play them on a cold rainy like night in stoke in stoke yeah <laughs> for those that don't don't know what that means it's like um what's what's the club's name stoke, uh stoke, stoke city just stoke, yeah. stoke city yeah and they play a rough style of football i would say uh mm. it's also um like of course you, you the the um wasn't actually the historic precedent where like some team like Barcelona or something got got their shins kicked in or <laughs> no I don't I'm not sure I think that if you look for examples I think there was maybe like Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan I think was a team that won the Champions League by kind of playing like Stoke City football you know they 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 just no team could play actual football against them and they forced them to play this like horrible maybe low skill game of just like rough rough football i guess mm. i'm sure it's the same in american football where if you've got a team with an insane quarterback and the quick guys down the wing there's no way you you don't want to like try and counter it by, by playing like a really slow i don't know it's hard for me to explain but i'm sure it's the same <laughs> in all sports where if you if you respect the team enough to the point where you know that if you play them just that what they want to play they will win that you have mm. to try and you have to try and think about a different strategy maybe if 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 it was like this meta where it was Arista Sigma maybe mm. we would play Arista Sigma up until grand finals and then against Shock we'd play full dive and we'd say okay you have to we're not testing your ability to win Arista versus Arista we're testing your ability to play Arista versus Winston yeah I see I I kind of figured that that Yiska was going to go somewhere different with that um it's it's an interesting narrative that I'm actually going to have to look into because that sounds kind of interesting from from you know European football. But I, it for to me it sounded like very akin to what a lot of people were saying towards the ends of the end of goats last year, where it was mm, like okay you loss. you respect the meta, but you're not respecting your opponent enough. You're not respecting how good they are and maybe your own efficiencies to say if we if if we respect the meta, we understand that 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 composition is good. That's fine, but the gap between us is so large that we have to somehow bridge it and yeah. just again, running headlong. Like you're saying, playing the same game, you're always going to lose 99% of the time. If, if that's something that you see, you have to change them. You have to make that bridge. Is that something it, that maybe teams are learning this season? Like, do you, do you find that that's a thing? I think what that's yeah. the best example that, that 
the the triple DPS in stage two is the mm. perfect example, of, right? Because it was this whole thing where Monte Cristo was going on certain coaches. Yeah. And, and f- sometimes from a team's perspective, there's a few things why Monty wasn't 100% right at the time. Because in a league format, it's better to invest a week into playing goats just to beat the teams that are around your level sure. as opposed to spending a week playing dive just to try and beat shock. But then you've missed a week of practice of goats when you play against Mayhem the next week who you think you could beat, right? Yeah. And maybe something about like tournament structure games. Um, it's easier to invest time in, into like a wacky and weird, weird style. Um, and then the other thing is teams... It's you don't want to infect the mentality in your team that like you can't be as good as other teams. Of course, um, you have there has to be like a certain internal belief system that if we if we're at our best, we can beat any team in the world. But there is also the opposite, which is a much more realistic outcome. Mm-hmm. Where if you're as a coach can convince your players and say, "Listen, we have shock next week. If we just go goats versus goats, we're going to lose." That's not because we're a bad team, but that's just because they're the best. If we practice or if we try like triple DPS. And we just ask questions, we test them a bit. We have a higher percent chance to win. Um, and I think in real sports, that happens all of the time, especially with the lower teams. They'll they'll go against the top teams in the league and they will always just try and make it a draw or make it as like low scoring as possible and hope to get like an opportunity. And then I think in the Overwatch League, maybe there isn't... Maybe there is a lack of maturity within certain teams where they can't quite recognize how their scrim results are going. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe maybe the game is balanced in a way where even even if you play a different composition, your composition is just so much inferior that you your chances are still lower. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Like before Monty uh brought that point up, and I expect he actually made that point because I had this tendency of just like writing conceptual pieces and not really attaching them to events, which is why this piece never went uh like really entered the public discourse but i had a piece called the meta is a gamble why don't you play the odds and the basic premise was that if you are already a bottom three team you don't have anything to practice for and the probability of you playing like a team where the goats practice could help you to play against them is almost virtually zero depending on your yes okay you could have back-to-back games against the other uh, worst teams. teams. Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at your uh, schedule and just determine this, right? So, but the general idea was there was, even in GOATS, and I put a lot of money on the line that um, there's a, there's a, in game theory, there's a, a concept called the Nash equilibrium, equilibrium, right? And that's basically like playing the absolute best. Uh, meta strategy that could theoretically, like the game is figured out at this point. Like, you know, like uh, XO or whatever it's uh, tic tac toe, is it? Tic tac toe. Yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's a game that's figured out at the Nash equ- equilibrium, right? Mm. Um, but GOATS wasn't that. Like, it's, it, this Overwatch would be a trash game if there was virtually nothing that, for instance, an AI could figure out about this game that could be, that it couldn't beat goats. I don't believe that for a second that that was actually if we if we have all the knowledge of whatever concepts we will find in the next decade of Overwatch, it, there's no way that that was actually the uh, the best meta composition. So why might as well try if you're already losing against everything, right? Yep. And um, 
yeah, the the and also rich history of that in in esports, uh, by the way, where it's like someone figured out muta stacking, and suddenly the matchup in StarCraft One flipped uh, for Zergs. Uh, I, I think was it July Zerg that figured that out? No, I don't remember. Joe? Was it Savior? Savior, pretty sure. I think he was the one that kind of flipped. Uh, uh, I think it was Protoss, though. I think uh, ZVP got flipped really hard. Mm, yeah. Save so, it. I think I felt that, but I, yeah. Neither here nor the, there. The one thing, and you, you kind of hinted at that, the one thing that stuck with me and that I understood on a human level so, so much, and I can't say it word for word, but Jake had uh, a tweet to the effect of, you don't know what that means for us as competitors to say we're like basically like going down the line of, to to say we're never going to be as good as these guys on goats, and that's like that's that's such a human insight. Like to say I'm never going to be the best guitarist because like whatever I don't I don't have the talent or whatever, and I I can admit to that. But maybe I can be the best drummer, for instance, right? Sure. And to for them to then eventually come to the. Uh, or come to the realization, okay, let's maybe play it a little bit differently here. And for them to then find out that they can find more success than they did beforehand was actually super cool story and like um, learning moments for pretty much everyone. I think we mm -hmm. could have done a better job as media to really outline uh, and break that down to the human component. But I feel, felt like it was such a great growth moment to not only have the um the honesty and like the 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 own self reflection to recognize in yourself okay i like this is a really hard thing to admit to yourself mm. but to then go past that e egoic attachment and just go yep. let's win right yep. so it's breaking up with yourself you have to break up with yourself before you're going to actually yeah beat anybody it's like a certain amount of like self-awareness required to be able mm. to do that and, and not give up um yeah but yeah I mean, it's a two because there is also a realistic approach because it, it is true as much as you don't want to admit to yourself it is sure. true mm. i mean one thing that was interesting about like us is we in the main melee we kind of maybe took a similar strategy to that in mind it's slightly different but but we actually practiced two comps for that week um i don't know if you guys hmm. remember it but we had a, a situation where we effectively had two lineups we would make like between three and four subs each map um and we would have one lineup practicing like the reinhardt comp and one lineup practicing the dive comp and our basic idea for that tournament was like if you want to beat the fusion you have to be able to beat our brawl and you have to be able to beat our dive um and if you look at the gladiators uh, match the first game we played we played them brawl v brawl but we won on Li Jiang. and then map two we put in our dive guys and we played divey dive and we lost so for the rest of the series we said okay you can beat our dive but you can't beat our brawl so we just put the same lineup in and we played brawl on junker town which we practiced zero times but we knew that they couldn't handle the matchup that we were offering them so mm. they fell apart they started to try to like, do weird stuff and eventually on their defense or their attack they just mirrored it and we saw that and we knew well this series is absolutely finished right because even if they were better at divey dive they couldn't handle a different comp of ours you know um I don't know. And personally, I loved that as a coach. I loved like that strategy. Uh, and obviously, what happened was that uh, Mayhem were able to beat our brawl 
on two of the four maps. And then when we dived versus their spam, we won. But then maybe we made like a mistake in picking Gibraltar. We should have like focused on. We should have played a map where they had to play spam, and we would dive into it. And then who knows how the series has gone. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I guess we, we we tried that, and I think on paper it sounded like a really really cool and really interesting idea. And then this tournament, we kind of like took the opposite approach, where we kind of like we said, okay, this Genji Arisa comp is the best comp. It suits us. Let's just back ourselves and let's put all of our eggs into that basket. And then. Uh, and yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, is that is the because it's interesting theoretically, just like from an archetype point, point of view. Like we're playing pretty much dive DPS, but we are or like DPS that were, for instance, part of the dive definition yeah. season one. I would mm, say, mm. Um, but we're playing uh, we're playing double shield tanks. Is that just because the backlines are just unkillable with drone and whatnot? Like. Um, Armor packs. Yeah, I think that it's just that brig itself was almost impossible. Just like I said at the start of the show, the only team who had any success with dive, I think, against the comp was maybe Shanghai in the the main melee. I think a big reason they turned that reverse sweep around was because they stopped playing the mirror and started to dive. Like I, I think they dived on Junkertown defense, but I guarantee you they had the same situation as I guarantee you didn't scrim that. They just they just realized like when we dive, Soul Soul's having all sorts of problems. So let's play it on Kingsville, let's play it on Junkertown, let's let's make them deal with our dive. Um Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I guess to go back to the meta question, I think that that Brig Bap Arista Sigma is like an incredibly there's a lot of damage. It's hard to dive. It's pretty well rounded in general. It's just uh, sometimes the Winston is just too high risk, high reward. You know. Mm. Who did we have? I don't think it was you who said this. Who did we have on that said that their general assumption is that brawl is the best archetype in Overwatch per like in general, just like on aggregate in most metas. I want to say something Dream would say, but I don't actually know. No, it wasn't Dream. Was it Broy? Would no, it wasn't but wrong. It was yeah, it know. was my, it might have been Junkbug actually. I'm not sure. Um but um would you ascribe to that like in 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 most hero pools, like the the likelihood of brawl working is higher than any other archetype, like dive and poke and whatever? I think the the spam comp up until obviously I can't comment after the break changes, but I think it definitely became the best of the season because I think what happened was goats. The the style that you play brawl is very akin to how you play goats, right? So I think mm -hmm. when I came on before, I talked about like, the bar charts of each composition, yep. like each archetype, and I think that every team had like such a high level on brawl comp that it was really easy to go like Doofus Reaper was in playoffs for last season, and then this year it started with like Ryan Diva May McCree, but it was still like a Lucio Ryan comp, so the fundamentals were like, I guess I guess they're pretty similar. Uh, and then over time, the teams tried the double shield more and more. And I think that as teams leveled up that comp, it probably had a higher skill ceiling than Brawl. I also think Brawl went through a few a few nerfs. Like I think the May one was pretty significant. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess as of right now, I think that maybe the the double shield is like has been the strongest across most most hero pools. Even when Brig was banned, teams still just played this comp with Bapsen, right? Um, so this entire month, it was Arista Sigma almost everywhere, except Gladiators, maybe. Mm. Like that. Let me rephrase your que question a little bit differently, uh, Pokja Semi. Um, 
Was there a team like you said you expected different teams in the in your bracket? Yeah. Was there a team where you were like, okay, okay, shock is one, and then maybe you already had Paris on your radar? Was like a, another team in your mind where it's like, okay, we're going to meet these guys and uh, we shouldn't take them lightly? Or I mean, we really wanted not take we really wanted to pick Mayhem if they were available. We had our mentality was very much that we we want to run that one back. Um, Ooh. Uh, so so I think almost any option, even if it had been like a situation where it was like Boston or Mayhem, I think there was a we probably would have picked Mayhem just because wow. we wanted we needed them. Um, and then yeah, uh, I guess I envisioned that Atlanta would win their semi final. Um, and then it was probably going to be either Valiant. Obviously, Valiant had their own struggles this week, and mm. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, and then Mayhem, but I think that was probably how I envisioned it: was Mayhem into Atlanta into Shark, um, which would have been a pretty pretty tough run on paper. Um, is is there a universe where where Dallas gets a different bracket, doesn't immediately run into Paris, and they go further? Dallas are one of those teams where no one wants to play them. Um, because on, on when you have the DPS of that level, you truly can win matches which you shouldn't be able to win otherwise. And I think that teams are always going to want to, to, to pick teams who at least you know what level they're going to be on, you know? Mm. Um, whereas like Dallas is a very like high roly team, you know? Like If the K plays the way he's played at times this season, they can truly beat anyone. It's... Uh, yeah, so so yeah. I think so. I think honestly, that that could have beaten Paris that game. It was pretty close. It wasn't one-sided by any stretch. Um, but we've also seen Dallas lose the teams, which you'd think there's no way Dallas should lose to. So yep. that's the problem they've got. Breach. Not not on the same individual level, but a tr like attributes that you could give. You know, an old London Spitfire team, a team that just kind of rolls high. If you catch them hot, like there's, a, I think there's a non-zero chance that maybe Fuel ends up in a deep run in the playoffs that nobody saw coming. I think so too. And I think there's also an equally high chance that they finish bottom and yep, lose everything. They could complete. Yep. hundred <laughs> percent. Now. Okay. This is, this is a question where I don't want to like just from the outside, um, the gladiators should have more success than they're having, right? Like they have a pretty stacked roster. They have a pretty stacked coaching staff. Uh, they they reinforce their um, their lineup with Kefster. He isn't even playing badly. Does that make any sense to you that they aren't like what's going on from from the outside? What looking in with with your expert eyes? <laughs> it's really hard to say. I mean, I think internally the gladiators are actually pretty highly respected from how they perform in scrims and stuff. Um, mm. But I think they, they maybe they now have it in their heads where they think that when it comes to a tournament game they're gonna struggle. And I think maybe other teams in the league now see Gladiators as a matchup that you can beat this team, you know? Mm. Um they're no longer a, like I feel like something that Shock had last season, and I think maybe we have had this this season as some teams, like especially lower teams, come into a tournament match against us and they, they say to themselves, like they won't admit it, but they say it to themselves. This one's a loss, boys, you know? Um, <laughs> and I think we see it in scrims. We, we'll play map one and we'll beat a team. And then the enemy team just like, okay, this is a fusion scrim, you know? Um, <laughs> and I feel like the worst thing we've done this season is make people believe that we can bleed a little bit because I think it's made, it's made everyone like... Mm -hmm. 
people become up for a match against the Fusion when you believe you can win, you know? Um, and I think that's one thing Gladiator struggles from is no matter how strong they look on paper or their coaches or their scrim results, every team goes into that match against Gladiators and thinks, you know, if we play well, we've got a chance of winning this. If you're Boston, Washington, who obviously both teams beat them, like, yeah, no one looks in, uh, against Gladiators and says, ah, we can't win this game. Whereas maybe some of the stronger teams, those teams will, their mentality will be different going into it. It's really important that in scrims and just tournaments you show a dominant, a dominant level mm. if you want to the top teams because you want to collect the free wins against the teams who think they have no chance against you. Shock collected so many wins last season because teams knew they couldn't win. <laughs> yeah, and then then map uh, one they compete, and then after map one, okay, it's done. And then map, maps two, three, four, Shock just collect, just cash in because. Both teams in the head know know how the series is ending. So let me See, ask you from a coach's perspective: How would you try to stop that? How how do you try to get the convenient excuse of ah, oh, well, it's you know 2019 defending champions, you know can't be can't be too down on ourselves when we lose against them, or ah, it's map two, eh, it is what it is, it's shock. How would you kind of tackle that? How do you get that virus out of somebody? Yeah, the way you have to phrase it is you have to look at the opportunity that's ahead of you, you know? Like, mm. listen, listen, boys, we have zero expectations this week going in. Nobody expects us to win. But if we are able to upset the shock or at least make it close, everybody is going to look at us like, hey, this team is, is not as bad as everyone thought, you know? Um, and I guess it's like it's you, you have to try and get into the mindset of your players playing completely free. Like, they mm. can't worry about the results, but they have to be aware that... Um, that no matter what happens, no one's going to, hey, you got forward by the shock. Every other team in the league's like, yeah, join the club. Like, yeah, how's it feeling? <laughs> you know, like, it sucks, doesn't it? Um, and I think that if you, can, if you can try and make the players detach themselves from the result and then let's just play our game. Let's play mm. the most free with the least pressure and let's give them a go. Then that's the way to do it. And what always happens, I think, which is the problem is sometimes I see this a lot in tournament games is when the team that's playing free and loose wins wins the first map, their brain's like, ah, shit, we can we can win this one. Sorry, nearly mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we can win this one. And then all of a sudden the pressure starts coming back in and they start to choke again because like, oh, we could actually do it. It's only when that in their mindset is that there's no way we can win or it doesn't matter the result, but they play like completely free. And all of a sudden, they look like a good team. And then after Math 1, Shock turn it up a little bit, and then that happens again, you know? That's, that's also another aspect that I think speaks for rookies, where you ascribe like this quality to younger people. That it's just like, they didn't know that they couldn't, so they could, Yeah, basically. Like, yeah. This, that, that's basically like a weird way to say that the older you get, the more these like m these mental models or these uh these limitations you put on yourself entrench right I, where it's like oh yeah i can't do that like oh yeah i can't ask for a raise or whatever uh or uh, you know i'm i'm not worth that or that's my natural skill cap and mm -hmm. that's like a, a things you do at 17 or 18 but it's just like you you feel immortal right like yeah. you just yeah. go in and it's like <laughs> the the stuff you do is actually crazy and i feel like that youth is like so it's either liberating. ignorance or just like madness right it's either just like you're you're just so hungry you're just mad and that propels you or you just don't know even to question it so you just do it anyways 
at it, some it, point it, when you're like really young the concept of like what a win or a loss means is like you don't quite it's only once you've yeah. been once you've been in the league for two years like i have now mm. i understand what a loss means not just to this tournament but i know what it means for the week coming up and i know what it means for that night and how horrible it is yeah. but when you're young you just see an opportunity to flank and make a play and you're like hey yeah. let's see what happens you know <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> I do want to ask you this one. Uh, last time you were on the show, you gave some advice to the Boston Uprising. And since then, they've made some changes. What are your thoughts on Boston right now? Yeah, I think they they went for a real honeymoon period, right? Like, I think that the, the like Brunson stepped down and then Punk, who I think, from what I've heard, is like a, a really good person, a really good teammate. He came in, re-energized everybody. They had a couple of close games and then even got a... Maybe it was just one win. Um, but I don't know. I'm starting to question if that, that honeymoon is finished and we're back to another long night for the Boston Uprising. I'm not sure. <laughs> long night is a good thing. But yeah, that's that's also maybe a little bit out, out of the teacher handbag. It's like every group you get into, like no matter who you were before, every every time you get into a new group, you get to reinvent yourself uh, to, towards, mm. like you get to create an identity towards that group and your actions will be accustomed to that. So what, for instance, like someone, someone in school does really badly and they have to change schools or whatever. Then I tell them, you get into that classroom, you look at the table that you think the best students are, and then you befriend them and become one of them. There's no reason you shouldn't believe you uh, couldn't be the, the, best, um, the best student there. And what does a st best student do? Always does their homework. Always like, listens to, the, um, to the, what the teacher is saying and fo follows the, the lesson. Um, and then that naturally, just by changing the nature of your identity, and interestingly, and this is probably undervalued, by you entering a group, you change the group. So. When Punk comes in, even, even if he wasn't that before, and I'm sure he was, you can come into that group and just say, I I'll be that positive aspect. And then everyone around you changes accordingly. Because we're all social creatures that like, nobody is, like, exists in isolation, right? Like, uh, our surroundings are the river, and what, like, you're, you're that ice, um, that little iceberg in the middle. And you can totally melt and uh, re okay. This metaphor is go nowhere. <laughs> I noticed, but it's like the the point is there's only really a tiny bit of you that is ever unchangeable, and the mm. rest you create around it, right? Like the the identity that you make yourself uh, for yourself in that specific group, and the opportunity you're given once you enter no social group always allows you. And also has the, crucially, also has the, uh, the danger. Like, you, you can be that guy, you can be the best player on your old team. If you don't go into the new group, like, with that expectation, but rather think to yourself, oh, I'm going to be the worst guy here, then yes, you're going to be the worst guy. The worst guy doesn't practice long hours. The worst guy, um, like, d uh, doesn't fully apply themselves and doesn't th think uh, through their actions as, as much. So that's usually like the 
the idea of identity and identity in relation to the group is I always found very important to suggesting uh, to students. Yeah, I think you can also use that and think about it from the perspective of someone who's already in the group, right? Like imagine you're fusions for the sake of argument and you're in this team, Boston, and every single scrim, everybody gives up really, really quickly. Like the overall team environment's terrible. We make one roster change and all of a sudden there comes this guy, little Australian guy, you know, he's got a nice, nice attitude and he really wants to be in the Overwatch League and he's really happy to be here. And he doesn't, he doesn't know about all the problems at the bottom. He doesn't yeah. have a history of all of the terrible scrims. So he comes in and he's coming 24 seven. He's really the positive. He tries to learn. He's like, Oh, you want to come play ranked? Yeah, let's do it. We can, we can be better. All of a sudden your fusions are like, well, if he can do it, it's rude of me not to try and do it because if yeah. he's making the effort, I have to do the same. Then all of a sudden, you're, both of your tanks are looking to work really hard. And all of a sudden, you're Jerry and you're like, hey, if these two are doing it, I, mm. I'm going to be rude to not do it. And eventually, like everybody, like what that one person can inspire everybody into like this collective agreement of like, oh, well, if he's working hard and I let him down because I'm lazy and I'm tilted, I don't like to be that person. Um, and, that, and that's how it spurs. And then eventually what happens is, the scrimmers will start to go badly again, and then maybe Punk learns why the Boston Uprising was the way they were before he joined. Uh, and I think that that's uh, that's how maybe the honeymoon ends is once is once the normality resumes. You know, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, think the, tr the true the true winning cultures are never in a situation where one person needs to inspire them. You know, the yeah. true winning mm -hmm. cultures are where you join in that team, you join the Philadelphia Fusion, and you look around. Hey, we've just done three blocks of scrims, but Astro's playing ranked again for two more hours. That's weird. Oh, Alarm's duoing with him? Oh, four of my players are streaming right now after after these long... Do you then have to feel, well, everybody's doing it. I have to do the same. This is the mm -hmm. expectation that is placed on me when I join the Philadelphia Fusion, you know? Um, yeah. And thus, and thus, Ben, Bess, and Nico, I think. Like, yeah. their yeah. season has been... Like they had a big turnaround for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Like Nico, especially, like he looked nuts. And you could tell that, or like from the outside, it looked like the sparkle influence and having that kid to, to compete with elevated Nico's level. Like I keep saying it, but a person that literally played the first Overwatch tournament yeah. ever, um, like won it. Like that, this. Is still possible such an improvement, and then Ben Best as well. Who Ben Best is now a trophy holder yeah. in the Overwatch League. Yeah, think about that narrative from from last year. Like, if someone's mm. in the cobalt wakes up and I'm going like, yeah, uh, Ben Best just won a stage. It's like, yeah, and that's not that unbelievable because he's also a good player. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. What season he's been good. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and it's it's definitely also down to coaching stuff. This also is uh, I hate this so much because I would have loved to see what Smex looks like in this team. Mm. Yep. Like that's that's a big regret. Uh, like just due to the circumstances, of course. But I think th that could have also been pretty sick. I think so too. Does. Yeah. And he's already worked with 9K a lot, so already has they have a good relationship. Yeah, I mean, mm. you had to compete with Hambin, but I'm I'm super confident that Smex could be like on that list of people who who improved improved a lot, like like Ben and Nico, like you mentioned. For sure, could be anybody. Um, any any other questions for Christopher, Joe? Give Yiska? me the cross, by the way. 
Uh, there we go. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, question was, uh, any other questions for uh, Christopher on uh, before we before we head out of here? I think, I think we had a good chat. Good chat. Spontaneous. For sure. Oh, man. How did that flew by? That was an hour and a half episode. It always does. I was like, how are we? How is it already past two? I feel like we don't even talk about Overwatch most of the time. Like, I feel like we we discuss like one game and the rest of it's just the the concepts of like being a team and competition. So determinism. Yeah, we always get profit profit deep when we do these podcasts now. That's kind of the point. That's that's what esports is also for. It's not never only like for the shenanigans and like it's it. Entertainment is never just entertainment. Just as like the the group determines the character of the individual, the in, the input that these players, uh, these viewers get from those games and the interpretations of them, they take into their uh, daily lives, and hopefully, are improved by those. Yeah, and I think um, something too is just uh, there's been a lot of questions about where we. As the the three of us and any guests who come on, like put put value in the show as far as recapping and previewing specific matches and kills and picks and ban and you know and those type of things versus kind of zooming out a little bit more and talking about the broader implications of results and getting more into the the theory and into kind of the uh, psychology that comes along with those results. We're more on that side of things than like the Paris defeated the Philadelphia yeah. Fusion four to three and um, EQO played a pretty good, pretty pretty good did a pretty good pretty good job there at the end. That wouldn't get you know it's like it's just it's not really quite um, what we're really passionate about doing it and I think it's great great feedback for the people who want it. Um, just know that this is what we like to talk about and at some point when we're making a podcast. We have to talk about what we like to talk about. So, anyways, um, is it a plaid chat disc? No, 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 not at all. There's, there's definitely that's not coming from anybody else other than a few comments we've had the past week of like, I want you to recap more episodes or more um, matches. And we're kind of like, uh, we don't want to. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get out of here, Christopher. As always, before we do messages to. Those wonderful Philadelphia Fusion fans. Yeah, sorry, sorry again. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll win the next one. I promise you that much. You can quote me. We'll win the next one. Yeah. The countdown cup. Wouldn't you rather Fusion. win the one after? No, because my theory is this. My theory is that once the problem with our team now is a little bit that we still haven't we still haven't won anything yet we've always mm, been second true. and my theory is that once we win one tournament you're about to see us click into a whole new level of like extreme dominance right once we understand like oh. how to win i think that's it so i think once we win the countdown cup i actually think we're going to become twice as scary i think that was it with shock i think they lost stage one yeah. and then it was once they won stage two that team all of a sudden become like a truly scary team for everyone to play against because now they know how to do it under pressure and then they become a team which like Junkbuck said it when he came on the podcast right he says give it give us as much pressure as possible because we know we're going to do better than than everybody else and you can only learn that skill by winning so once we win our first one the, the rest of the league they're toast it's done you do it once, you can do it again. Announced. Yeah. Yep. You heard it here first. 
Uh, awesome. Um, uh, well, before we do, let's get out of here and uh, thank our patron producers. Battlecrab Pin Lotion, Charlie L. Audio, Compass, Porkchop, Sammy, Kosh, 67, Kuchikopi, Sharp, Picasso, Nathan, Your Misery, Hunter Tain, Refined Bean, Rex Zane, Roger B, Fabled Steven, Owen, Chris, R34444, Yiska is holding me hostage, please send help, I'm under Yiska's desk, please send help. Thank you so much for supporting the show, our patron, our patron producers and all of our patrons are absolutely insane, uh, love y'all. And uh, go to patreon.com slash tactical crouch if you want to support. Big thanks to the newest patron who is a patron producer. I'm under Yiska's desk. Please send help. And uh, thank you for the hilarious names. No thank you for the really long names that make me run out of breath. <laughs> but whatever. Whatever makes you happy. Uh, new subs, Joe. What do we got? New subs. We have late stage capitalism. Thank you for your... Uh donation hopefully yeah thanks thanks for the, the the help and the love and the support and uh mick sneakerton subbing uh earlier in the show thank you so much um and if you can't you know sub during covid and the global pandemic you can go on to itunes and leave a five-star review helps us helps us with discoverability and whatnot and then we'll shout you on the show so you can still kind of contribute and leave your stamp on the show for free and sometimes Joe even reads the uh, subs from the correct sheet instead of the template sheet. That's true. Not the template sheet. So subs for this week was actually McSneakerton. So I got you. We've got <laughs> we've got Shuby26, uh, BLK, BLK, BLK. Thank you for your two gifted subs. Um, uh, hopefully you don't feel too terrible that I completely uh, glossed over you. So we love you either way. We love you either way. And if you um, if you're like, hey, how can I support? I don't really, you know, have the capacity or the willingness uh, to, you know, pay any money to support the show. Uh, no worries at all. <clears throat> we just appreciate you listening, um, honestly, and, and we're watching. Uh, but two great free ways to support the show is to leave a five star iTunes review, or to just join us for any of our live episodes Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. Uh, especially as we're trying to wrap up this path, path to partner thing. Um, we are well over our minimum viewers that we need. So, uh, we just would like to keep that up and keep that going. And yeah. Um, other than that, shout outs of the week of where can people find you? Yiska, you're up. Um, as always on GG Recon, I just put out, um, an hour ago, I think, uh, an interview with Bench, um, he talked frankly about developments in tier two, what, how like the 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 player funnels, how talent nowadays gets um, scouted, analyzes a little bit the problems that the scene has, gives uh, suggestions. So all around, like once again, a banger interview. Uh, thanks to Bench for that. Sweet. And uh, Joe, what about you? Uh, I think not too long ago before we got into the show, I kind of went over the the five great eras in Overwatch history. Um, and that is also on GG Recon. Got some interviews coming from Valorant and uh, going over Eileen this weekend. So stay tuned for that. Sweet. Uh, as for me, you can find me everywhere at Kick Tripod, uh, Twitch, Twitter. And YouTube at youtube.com slash John Horseman. The show is posted on YouTube at youtube.com slash tactical crouch. Please sub there. That's going to do it for us, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out. We will see you Friday for Spike Drop. Please come join us. 
Um, if not to just, uh, if you're not into Valorant, just to help us keep those concurrents up. Hey, uh, otherwise, uh, we will see you Monday for, I promise, probably, I can't promise this, but mo mo hopefully our kind of Asia recap, Asia region recap from Summer Showdown. We will see you all then. Thanks, guys. Bye.